to The Unorthodox Christian. I'm your host, Friar Tuck, and today we are talking all about friendship. The past year and a half have been some of the most difficult, lonely, and divisive times our nation has seen in a long while. Political tension, differences of opinions, death, illness, quarantine, have all taken their toll on many of our relationships. Now as the mandates are being lifted, we're left to pick up the pieces and rebuild the friendships we've been forced to live without. For many, things haven't changed much, but for others, their lives have radically changed and may need a friend to help them through the rebuilding process. Paul, a follower of Jesus, wrote these words to inspire other followers. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, and make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In the beginning, God created the earth and everything in it. As God looked upon creation each day, God said, This is good. Then, on day six, when man was created, God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. While reading through the account of creation, we can easily move forward to the part of creating woman. We must pause here, because this statement in the Bible about the state of man is deep and theological. On closer examination, we find God speaking truths about all mankind. Could it be God made a mistake? What was not good about Adam? Take yourself back to the picture of creation. Everything was beautiful and perfectly made by the hands of God. The flowers glowed in bright colors contrasted against the deep green grass. Trees produced the juiciest, delicious fruit ever tasted. Animals enjoyed the abundance of food and water. Everything was good. Then God created man. And those words which carry so much meaning came from God's mouth. It is not good for man to be alone. Was Adam alone? Wasn't God with Adam in the garden? How could anyone be alone if he is in the presence of God? To better understand God's statement, we have to look deeper into the creation of man. Unlike any other of God's creations, man was made in the image and likeness of God. This means Adam, and us as well, exhibit qualities of the Almighty God. Why does this matter? If the nature of God is a perfect love relationship, then how can man be made in his image and not be in a love relationship? When God looked at Adam and said, it is not good for man to be alone, it was not a statement that pointed to God making a mistake. Instead, it revealed the perfect nature of God and how Adam, a created being, could not understand a triune God by himself. A companion is what God knew Adam needed, even more than a wife. For years, I took the creation of Adam and Eve at face value that Eve was created to be Adam's wife and to have children together. Although this is true, it's not the whole picture. Before God created Eve, and after God made the statement, it is not good for man to be alone, the Bible gives an interesting account of events. God brought all the animals to Adam for him to name. This seems to be irrelevant except that it says no suitable companion was found. Adam's need for a relationship could not be filled by any of the created things up to this point. 
If God were only looking for a wife for Adam, it would be disturbing to first look through all the animals to see if any of them would be able to fill the void. The need was for a companion who would also be made in the image of God. This is not a study on relationships between a man and a woman. Plenty of books have been written on that subject. I'm simply acknowledging man was created with a need and desire for relationships, just as God desires relationships. This need can be filled through marriage, but the Bible also shows us we have a need to be in a friend relationship as well. Jesus was having dinner, his last supper actually, with his close friends when he said, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Only Jesus knows what will happen in the next 24 hours. While they are reclining at the table, Jesus begins to share with them his last thoughts before his death. These words give us a sense of what is most important to Christ. Jesus says to them, A new command I give you, love one another. Well, How can this be a new command? Isn't this the same command to love your neighbor that Jesus gave to them earlier? We know that Jesus could not have misspoken, so we come to this passage with new eagerness and new things to learn. Through a few clues, we begin to see God's desire for deep friendships between people, ones which are mutually dependent and edifying to each other. One of the first clues we get about this new command is that Jesus waits until Judas leaves before revealing it. This new command was only for those who want to live the kind of life that trusts Jesus' way of living. The command to love your neighbor was for anyone and everyone. Jesus was talking to crowds of people and to the Pharisees, a group of people who rejected Jesus' teaching. In this instance, Jesus waits until only his close personal friends are around. The command to love your neighbor was for anyone and everyone. Jesus was talking to crowds of people and to the Pharisees, a group of people who rejected Jesus' teaching. In this instance, Jesus waits until only his close personal friends are around. This new command is centered on the life found in Christ and can only be truly lived out as one abides in Christ. A second clue revealed in this new command is in its level of commitment. Earlier in Jesus' ministry, when the Pharisees are questioning him, he tells the people to love their neighbors as themselves. Now Jesus raises the bar. He tells his disciples in the upper room to love one another as he has loved them. Jesus makes the new standard of love as himself. The love he commands Christ followers to have for one another is the level of love in which he pours out his love on us. This is an incredibly big jump. The love I have for myself doesn't even compare to the love Christ has for me. This type of love would require much more from me and from you. The third clue comes after the Last Supper when Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus has withdrawn to pray as he prepares for the most difficult task of his life. In his last intimate prayer to God, he says, I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them, and I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. So, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Jesus' desire is for the disciples to be as close to each other as Jesus is to God. Do you understand the gravity of that statement? Jesus knows that the rest of the world will not live this way, but he prays that his disciples would. 
This message is not only for his disciples either. Jesus continues his prayer by saying, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Could Jesus really mean that he wants us, living thousands of years later, to be as close to each other as Jesus is with the Father? That's an incredibly deep and intimate relationship, one that is far greater than we could ever imagine. Many times in Christian circles, we talk about the desire to grow closer to God. But what about growing closer to our friends? As we continue down this path, we will begin to understand that growing closer to God is dependent upon our lives growing closer together with other believers. This was Christ's final prayer to God just before he went to the cross. These three clues show us that this new kind of love is meant to be uniquely shared between friends who have chosen to follow Christ. One of Jesus' disciples, John, understood what Jesus was trying to say in this last time together. Reading through 1 John, we get a glimpse of the depths to which his command can be taken. The apostle writes, For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. When the good news about Jesus was starting to spread, apparently the message included the command that Jesus imparted during the Last Supper. The assurance that we are living in the truth is wrapped up in these two things, following Jesus and loving one another. John says this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commands and do what pleases him. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. Each time I have heard a message on how to love God, the focus was on reading the Bible more, praying more, managing my sin well, and going to church. Rarely has the focus been on loving God by growing in our love for one another. As I have studied 1 John, I cannot come to any other conclusion than to say a large component to loving God, knowing God, being blessed by God, and being a living witness for God is in the way we love each other. This may sound like a bold statement, but let us look at some of the claims made by John to the church. First off, loving God. He says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. He also says, By this we may know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and he sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. God is love is a powerful statement that reveals more than God's character. It reveals the nature of who God is. By loving others, we don't just take on the character of God, we display the image of an invisible God. If we are made in God's image, then we were made to be the love of God to others since God loves each one of us. This is incredible. As you think about how each of us is uniquely made, 
There isn't another person throughout history who is exactly like you, and there never will be again. This means you display an image of God that is totally different than anyone else in history. As we enter into loving relationships with each other, we see a new image of God. We've never seen it before. Our friend's relationship with God is unique, and so we come to know God in a new way. This collective image of God that becomes clearer as we grow closer is what Paul describes in Romans when he says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Trying to pursue a relationship with God without also pursuing relationships with each other is like having a handicap. Sure, you can limp along on one leg and get by, but God wants so much more. Deeper friendships with other believers will lead to a deeper knowledge and connection to God. As we watch another Christ follower live, we understand new aspects of who God is and how that knowledge affects our lives. In his book, The Four Loves, C.S. Lewis writes about the connection between friends. Now follow here, this gets complicated. If, of three friends, A, B, and C, A should die, then B loses not only A, but A's part in C, while C loses not only A, but A's part in B. In each of my friends, there's something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I'm not large enough to call the whole body into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. If this is true of friendships, then how much more true is it for God? Each person has a unique understanding of God, and the more we know a particular person, the more we will learn about God. Next, we talk about being blessed by God. We continue on with our, our passage from before. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from Him anything we ask, because we keep His commands and do what pleases Him. And this is His command, to believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as He commanded us. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Of course, I'm not supporting a prosperity gospel, but there are certain passages that promise blessing upon those who obey. Most people want more joy in their lives. But Jesus says that his complete joy comes when we love each other as he has loved us. We also know that as Christ's love dwells in us, we can confidently approach God and ask him for anything. I don't mean that God will give you a million dollars. Instead, Jesus says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. When God is the desire of our hearts, then we find God will give us all we need to live out the life we were created to live. Sometimes these blessings are found in other followers of Christ. We look to God to give us what we need, forgetting that we are blessed with other people so that we may find others with skills we don't possess, uh, to be encouraged, supported, healed, provided for. When we try to live life alone, we miss out on all the blessings that God has given us through people in our lives. Third, there's the living witness of God. Jesus said in his statement, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, 
you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Another writer wrote, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Interestingly, Jesus says the identifiable mark of a disciple will be his love for other disciples. John goes even further when he says that although no one can actually see God, the love we give towards other Christians will reveal Christ in us. These are amazing statements. When I ask most believers how others know they are Christians, most respond with some kind of comment about going to church, reading their Bible, or prayer. I've seen Christians with fish stickers on their cars, crosses around their necks, verses printed on their shirts, signs that clearly state their position on the fate of man. Most Christians are known by the world for what they are against. Is it any wonder why people are not flocking to the church in their time of need? Not all of these are bad things, but they are not how God desires us to be known for our faith. God wants us to be known for our love. When believers share a deep love that goes beyond the normal formalities, people begin to take notice. Everyone goes through challenges in life, but most people do not have friends who would give up their lives for them. Everybody wants to have friends who are loving. It's attractive. And it's extraordinary. This is where Jesus calls us to be the salt and light for the world. Light is only useful in the darkness. And salt not only keeps meat from going bad, it also adds a little flavor. Now, don't you think the world could use a little love flavoring? In college, I took an acting class where the professor told us that underlying every relationship, each encounter was the quest for love. Each person desires to be loved in some way, and in our conversations, this desire desperately tries to get out. Arguments arise when we don't get the love we want or deserve. Bitterness and hatred take love's place when someone is betrayed or hurt. Relationships become dysfunctional when one person tries to force other people to love them or force their love on others. This is why the gospel is such great news. Because God so loved the world. This unconditional Fully sacrificing perfect love is the only thing that will completely fill that void in our lives. As we embrace God's love, it can't help but spill over into the lives of the people around us. So, as we venture out into society, keep in mind that your soul longs for connection. You were created to have connection. Our culture was already too focused on phones and social media, but now relationships have been replaced by computer screens. We must step out of the convenience of surface-level relationships and start investing in closer friendships. They're hurting people that need love and comfort. They're lonely people who need someone to talk to. That person might even be you. May you find friendship as you emerge back into the world. May you find the love in each relational encounter as you also give love because in the end, love wins.